Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. This week, we're reviewing episode 69, A Sound Argument. Nice. <laughs> As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened previously in Attack on Titan, so you've been warned. And again, that's episode 69, which debuted on Valentine's. And revealed that Historia got knocked up. What timing. Although I'm sure that wasn't intentional, but... No, no, no. The... I like to think it was fully intentional. <laughs> yeah, the, the stars aligned. I would say of all the exposition-heavy episodes this season, this one was probably... Uh, probably the biggest information dump that we've had so far, at least I think. Um, but with that said, as always, you know, when Attack on Titan gives you information, it's meaningful and connected to the plot and connected to everything else in some way, shape, or form. So it didn't feel like I was just being overloaded with information kind of without purpose, without, you know, really trying to bring everything together for this story. But it was a lot to absorb. But I think that's the thing that... I and maybe you also like about Attack on Titan is that it's very versatile with what it can do with its story. Um, again, w with the past three episodes, maybe we got a lot of action-heavy um, parts of the parts of the plot, and then with this one and with the previous episode, um, it deals more with again the talking aspect. But like you said, there's a lot of exposition especially in this episode. And I think this one in particular deals more with like the politics of Paradis, um, kind of the island's attempts at establishing diplomatic relations, but then the key persons involved in these like negotiations whose lives are at stake. Um, but alongside that, I think the episode balances a lot of like sprinkling of lighthearted moments, especially with our beloved scouts and kind of witnessing their growing pains, but also their insight on what they think about Aaron and his dealing with the situation at hand. For sure. And don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining that there's a lot of exposition. I'm not complaining that there's um, a lot of information being thrown at us because this is exactly what I have been craving this entire season. I mean, I've been saying it since the first episode of the season. What has What's happened over the last four years? Like, What did we miss in this time skip? How did we get to where we are today? Um, and, and they're answering all of those questions thoroughly. So I very much appreciate it. It is just a lot to kind of take in, especially with an episode like this where you have time skips or time jumps rather um, and not all of them are clearly laid out. I think it's on the second watch through is, is pretty clear kind of where each scene, like where it was taking place or when it was taking place. The first time I watched it, it kind of took me a second, especially when we went back to that railroad part. I was like, oh, wait, this happened in the past because I think the biggest indicator is really just Aaron's hair. Like his length mm -hmm. of hair tells you at what point in the timeline this is supposed to be. And um, I think um, even Levi has a comment where he says like you, you kids are growing up so tall. And I think that's also meant to be um, context as to when those flashbacks are happening so yeah again watching it the second time it, it became more clear when things were going on and what order these events take place i also agree with you about the lighthearted moments i think the comic relief in this episode just hits on point and, and we get multiple um, instances from han from levi from sasha and connie it's all just fantastic um and 
it's really kind of that breather that we need because we came off of a, you know, two and a half episode epic fight. And I'm sure things are only going to get more intense as we kind of approach these final episodes. So I, I'm fully on board with having these lighthearted moments. We need them because these might be the last ones we get in the show. Right. Again, after like eight episodes of focusing just on the Marley arc, I think the show is trying to catch us up with, you know, getting these last final moments with with the Scout Regiment and with everyone on parodies. Um, it's bittersweet that we are reaching our own sunset with the characters, much like the sunset in this episode. But it's still something that I think we all should cherish very near and dear to our hearts. But enough of this chit chat. Let's go ahead and get wined and dined with episode 69, A Sound Argument. Oh, and there was wine in this episode too. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That all came <laughs> together just right. It's all coming together. Aaron gives himself a Shia LaBeouf pep talk in the mirror inside his prison cell and is interrupted by Metal Gear Hanj, who is curious about what he's fighting for and what kind of products he uses for his marvelous man bun. But really, she is there to share her disbelief about how Aaron has supposedly sacrificed Historia in some way. We then time travel once again to two years ago, where the anti-Marlian volunteers introduced the scouts to their first outside visitors, an envoy from the nation of Hizuru led by <gasps> Lady Kiyomi, the ambassador who dipped the fuck out of Liberio before things got hairy. She reveals that Mikasa is the long-lost descendant of the Hizuru shogunate after discovering that our red-scarfed rabble-rouser conveniently has a tattoo of the shogun's crest. Homikiyomi also offers our nation's assistance in protecting Paradise in exchange for Ice Burst Stone, a rare element used in the scouts' ODM gear that can only be found on their island that would help evolve their EVs and restore Hizuru to its former glory. She sets out Zeke's three-point protection plan. 1. Display a taste of the rumbling to show the world that Paradis isn't fucking around. 2. Strengthen the Paradis military with Hizuru's help. And 3. Pass the Beast Titan to a member of the royal bloodline and its descendants every 13 years per the curse of Emir. Queen Historia solemnly agrees to the terms, but Eren says that's that shit he don't like and that they should seek other options, one of which he took upon himself with his casual Titan stroll through Marley. Switching to present day, Turns out Historia is pregnant and the father is supposedly some country bumpkin. Several military officers gossip over drinks about the pregnancy, saying it was to prevent her from inheriting Zeke's beast titan for fear of the unborn child's safety. Meanwhile, Chef Niccolo secretly implores the officer's Marlian waiter to provide them with a special house wine. But before we can find out if it was a red or a white, we are thrust back into titan time travel to at least one year ago, where the scouts are busy growing up and building a railroad while waiting for Hizuru's diplomatic decision. Metal Gear Hans and Levi announce that Hizuru is siding with Zawardo against Paradis because they are greedy sons of bitches, so the island is going to have to take care of business themselves. We then witness a tender scene between our OG scouts as they ponder the future of Paradis and who is fit to inherit Eren's titan powers against a sunset backdrop. Eren says that he wouldn't want any of them to inherit his power and hopes they instead live long and prosper. Contrast that to another jump back to present day, where Connie and John claim that Aaron has gone off his rocker and is no longer the Aaron they once knew, especially since he seems to now support Zeke's plan. Armin states that he and Mikasa will try to talk some sense into him, and if all else fails, they feed that psycho to someone else. The episode ends at Erzi and Zeke, with Levi watching over the Beast Titan wielder as some scouts begin partaking in that mysterious housewine. 
So I guess you could say it is definitely about to get litty up in here. The opening for this episode is just amazing. As always, Hanj is on point. She is the energy that we need in this show. Because um, we ended the last episode, you know, with this serious moment of Aaron saying, fight, fight, and he's staring in the mirror, being all brooding and all and whatnot. And then here, I mean, it's it's literally no time loss because we see him in the jail cell still talking to himself and then Hanj comes out of nowhere and he, she's like fight fight what are you talking about fight are you saying there's two fights who are you gonna go fight and it, it reminded me um of that scene from season three where Aaron and Mikasa are also in the jail um in in their jail cells is it the same jail I don't know if it's the same jail um but Aaron, I think, has a flashback slash memory um, from his dad and perhaps from Aaron Kruger. And I think he learns of the, the his Titan's name, which is Attack Titan. And he's, I don't know, just being all brooding again and says Attack Titan out loud. And then Hanj pops up out of nowhere and says, Attack Titan, why are you talking like this? You're being so weird. Like, is anyone else noticing how weird Aaron's being right now? And basically embarrasses the shit out of him in front of Levi, Armin, and Mikasa. Well, here, several years later, it's pretty much the same situation Mm -hmm. where Han catches Aaron talking to himself again. And she's like, who are you? Who are you trying to fight? Why are you saying fight? You're you're being super weird right now. And it just, the whole thing was great to me because, first of all, it's the first time we've seen Aaron yell or raise his voice this season and it does kind of remind us of the old Aaron Um, but I think it's also him just flipping out on her because every time he starts to talk to himself in a jail cell she comes up and just embarrasses the shit out of him and he's probably super annoyed by it yeah I would say Hans was having like a very family guy reaction to what Aaron was doing Um, because yeah looking at him out of context it's like who what kind of brooding character would do this unless they were an anime character in a very serious anime series? Um, but yeah, again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this this episode manages to just sprinkle in these very lighthearted comic relief moments, although it does get pretty serious after that point. I also noticed that on, I think, one of the anime trending charts, Aaron beat out Levi by like one spot this week. And I'm like, really? I think the only reason is because Aaron was shirtless. I think that's like purely the only reason. He he doesn't even have a oh, major the fan part. Service. Yeah, he doesn't have a major part in this show in terms of like present day Aaron. Um or not in this show, but in this episode of the show. Um so I was like, hmm, are we sure about this, people? This is Levi that we're talking about. Aaron's beating out Levi. I think it's just because his nipples are showing. As an aside, I've seen um, images floating around on the internet where the Attack on Titan characters are drawn in like beach wear or like summer wear. And there's one in particular where um, it's Aaron and Levi that are both shirtless. And, you know, now that you mentioned that, I think Levi would definitely beat out Aaron in terms of fan service. <laughs> people people simp the shit out of Levi. I, I think again, like Aaron Aaron's always been up there perhaps on the trending charts just because his character is kind of that that wild card, but he's never, I think, really beat out Levi in terms of like who's the better male character. But uh, I don't know. I just noticed that particular anime trending chart this week, and I was like, I think it's just the naked body or half the naked body. I think that's all it is. He's got a lot of muscles, and that's about it. <laughs> 
It's probably because no one likes a five foot two Sundere character. Actually, I think a lot of people like a five foot two Sundere character, but usually if they're five foot two, they're female. <laughs> we then get the reveal that Mikasa is royalty in Hizuru, and I was, I guess, surprised by this. I don't know. They never really talked about um, Mikasa's like non Ackerman side. And it just, just kind of came out of left field for me. But I think it was very quickly realized that that's not the focus of Hizuru's, you know, approaching Paradise and, and wanting to come to some, some sort of agreement. It's just kind of the guys that they have um, in order for them to meet with them to try and monopolize on the resources on Paradise. And Mikasa picks up on that very quickly. But one thing that some people have called out is that in the first season or one of the early seasons of attack on titan mikasa's mom says like oh the symbols passed on in our family but it was an embroidery but then here we have mikasa saying one of the last things she got from her mom before she passed away was a tattoo um and she covers it with a band or whatever so no one sees it and i'm like we've gotten plenty of shots where she's walking around with her wrists out and we've never ever seen this so for a show that's like this tightly written where there's no kind of gaps or plot holes, this one kind of was a, a pretty big oversight because they made this such a big reveal. But then all of us are thinking back like, I don't remember ever seeing that tattoo on her arm before. And I think that shows the deviation um, that MAPA is taking with this season from being a little bit more faithful to the manga is I feel like this symbol um, as a tattoo on Mikasa's wrist was probably mentioned more. Um, in that medium than it was in this medium. And like you said, if it appears as an embroidery, it's kind of like a like a retcon in some sense. It could have something to do with the fact that tattoos are still kind of not widely accepted in Japan. But again, it's like, I don't know. If if it was a tattoo from the beginning, just keep it a, a tattoo, especially if it, by the end of it, you just make it a tattoo anyway. Mm. And you brought up a good point about how this was basically... or. Th- uh, Lady Kiyomi meeting Mikasa was basically just, um, she mentions it like a pretext for them to get to the actual matter at hand that they want with Paradise, which was the Iceburst Stone. Um, because they mentioned that she's a descendant of the Shogun. And, you know, that has a lot of ramifications, especially with their relationship with Paradise. But then they don't really act upon it after that. Like they mention, oh, you are the long lost descendant but they don't say like you need to come back with us or anything yeah and i think to your point that's just because they're they just needed that that reason to go out there but that's not really their focus also i just feel like that's a whole other story to play on in this show like you can drop that as like a piece of information about mikasa to kind of flush out her backstory a little bit more but really like what can you do with that like you would need a whole nother season to start to like dive into Mikasa taking on her position as royalty in Hizuru. So I think I think that'll just kind of fall to the wayside. I think however however this ends up, it'll just fall to the wayside. It'll be an OVA um, in the very near future. You know what? I wouldn't mind it though because I love Mikasa and I would love more more story around her. Um, but also, I think we all can agree that the tattoo looks like the App Store logo from apple mm-hmm. i mean as an iphone user that's immediately where my head went i was like oh that's the app store like <laughs> i see that all the time it's like second nature for me like that's the fucking app store but who influenced who if this tattoo supposedly appeared way back in the manga um 
I don't know. That's a good question. Someone go research when the App Store logo was created. Maybe and... it was just purely a coincidence that two people that designed, you know, a tattoo for an anime and designed the logo for an App Store just happened to come up with something so similar that you can't unsee the other when you look at it now. Mm-hmm. I also want to quickly mention that this episode, since we're already talking about it, confirms that Lady Kiyomi was a semi-collaborator with Paradise. Um, I think we were kind of theorizing that when we were watching her actions during the earlier episodes in Marley. Um, But it's clear here that she didn't really side with Paradise in the end, Um, but she knew that something was going down. So that, yeah, that brings up the question, which I, I thought of literally just before we started recording this. Um, if she knew, because I, I had asked the question of like, how did Willie figure out that people from Paradise, the scouts, were on Marley? Like what specifically tipped him off to that? Um, and I think this answers our question indirectly. Like if Hizuru ended up declining, you know, any opportunity to to partner up with Paradise, mm. they knew everything. And so he, um, Lady Kiyomi probably told Willie or dropped a hint. And then that's why she dipped right before the play because she knew it was going to go down. She knew she was in harm's way. So that is my assumption. But I think overall she has some sympathy towards Eldians because if she was open to working with Paradise in the first place, it's no surprise that when Udo ran into her and spilled the wine on her that she didn't want him to get in trouble. So I think that I think she's our missing piece of that puzzle. I think anyway. Mm-hmm. But too bad she is just a greedy bitch. I know. I like how she licks her <laughs> lips. Like, okay, you didn't. You already told us that they're money hungry. You you didn't need to also have her lick her lips at the table when she talked about money and resources. Yeah, and actually on that point, you know, the whole point of Hizuru coming over to Paradise is because they want to um, acquire this resource called the Ice Burst Stone. Which, again, it sounds like, you know, a stone that you can use in an EV evolution. Yeah. Um, but I think this is the, quote-unquote, fossil fuel that makes Paradise that valuable land resource. Oh, because they haven't actually given us the name of it yet, right? Yeah. I don't think this was ever mentioned by name previously. As I said in a previous podcast, Grisha did mention it um, when Aaron was going through his memories um, of fossil fuels existing on parodies but i think this is confirmation of what it's called um, so and in my notes i actually wrote sakura Dite. and for mm. anybody watching uh code geass um that's the resource in code geass and we're we're in the throes of of watching and recording code geass stuff so if you haven't yet go listen to that if you're a code geass fan um but yeah i just that sakura is so embedded in my brain that i was as i was typing my attack on titan notes i just like subconsciously wrote sakura Dite. so if i if i called that at any point on accident i'm i'm sorry <laughs> yeah perfect timing watching code geass um with the airing of this episode and then also in the conversation with Hizuru and Paradise, it's brought up that Zeke approached Hizuru to kind of get the ball rolling on this plan. And Zeke showed Lady Kiyomi the ODM gear that he had quote-unquote procured. Um, and if you remember, which I didn't at first um, until I did some kind of light browsing on like some of the things that were going on in this episode, just because, again, it was so much to process. Um, someone called out that... Um, that's the ODM gear that Zeke took from Mike or Mish. 
I don't know. So uh, I think it's Mish, M-I-C-H-E, but some people write it as Mike. I don't know. Um, but he took it from that guy in season two when the Beast Titan was first revealed. So the Beast Titan was considered an, an abnormal to the scouts. And mm. one of the scout guys who was probably higher up on the on the chain um, saw him and was going to observe him. And then the Beast Titan throws a horse at him, knocks him into the mouth of another Titan. And as, getting, as he's getting chomped on, Zeke takes his ODM gear and walks away with it because he's like, can I have this? He starts talking to the guy. I, I, <laughs> watching the scene again was just like so brilliant because like this guy, Mish or Mike or whatever, doesn't know anything about this quote unquote abnormal Titan. And Zeke just walks over to him casual as fuck after throwing a horse, like picking up a horse and throwing it at him and just starts talking to him. And he's like, oh, can I have this? Like, what's that on your back? Can I have this? Oh, you guys fight with swords? And I'm like, I can't even imagine the panic going through this guy's head as there's like Titans surrounding him. He's getting eaten by one. And then this huge monkey Titan just starts having a fucking conversation with him. So mm-hmm. if you have time to go back and watch that that scene from season two, it's just a really great scene, especially knowing what we know about Zeke now. Like that was that was brilliant. Yeah, it's a very subtle but nice callback in this episode to see what he does with that ODM gear. And, you know, talking about Zeke previously, where a lot of his previous quotes or conversations can be seen in a different context. I think that scene in particular, um, you can see it in like a not a lighthearted way because he still killed the guy, but you can see what his intentions were. Um, in acquiring that gear and seeing like the bigger picture of how that gear is going to prove valuable when negotiating with a country like Hezru, which we know now has been kind of reeling from the effects of the Great Titan War and is kind of like a shell of its former self. So Zeke using the Ice Burst Stone would be like the perfect negotiating tool um, to get Hezru on Paradis' side, which we know is not going to work out in the end. Last thing about this whole meeting between Hezu and Paradis, Aaron has a very filthy Hikikomori haircut during this flashback. It's very distracting. Yeah, his hair looks like shit. Like, <laughs> probably worse than it did. Well, I don't know. Maybe it looks the same as... Because I was really, really distracted during the final moments of season three when I saw Aaron's hair, when he was pointing at the sea and, like, you know, everyone's frolicking in the water and stuff. The whole time, I just couldn't stop thinking to myself, what the fuck is on Aaron's head? He looks awful and then they bring that haircut back and i'm just like oh god it looks just as bad as i remember maybe it's an homage to the otaku who have (laughs) stood by this show for many years and actually i'm looking at a picture of the um series creator hajime isayama and his hair basically looks like Aaron's at this point. Oh, God. <laughs> so maybe it's an homage to him as well. Well, maybe he should find a different hairstyle. <laughs> yeah. That's, it doesn't work for Aaron, at least. It doesn't work for anyone. As the episode progresses, we get um, the reveal that Historia is pregnant. Um, and this kind of is it comes on the tail of this conversation with Hizuru, where she accepts the conditions that Zeke set out um, that Historia would need to give birth multiple times um, in order to preserve the bloodline. So there's a couple of things I thought about with this whole thing. First of all, um, it makes sense that Historia would get that, that theory that Historia would get pregnant um, to free up the possibility of her having to inherit the beast Titan. Um, but really what makes more sense to me is that in general, she just needs to give birth whether or not they make her the Beast Titan, because she needs to preserve the royal bloodline. It's not just a matter of, like, ceremony of having somebody with 
royal blood take on the throne. This is like literally you cannot control Titans unless you have somebody with that bloodline. So I'm sure it's something that she wanted to do regardless, but I'm sure it's something that she wanted to do the quote unquote proper way by falling in love, finding someone she cares about and not rushing it and getting knocked up by some guy that I think they maybe barely touched on in season three when we got more of her backstory. I don't even know if, if this is like some person that they even talked about. I'm just guessing. Um, Cause she doesn't look happy in, in this moment. She looks really kind of just not herself as she's sitting there pregnant as fuck. And I want to bring up a point that our friend, Kevin, shout out to Kevin again. Hey, Kevin. Made in our, our own group chat. Do you really think that this country bumpkin is the father to Historia's child? I mean, yes and no. So I know Kevin threw out that, that theory that Aaron is the one that knocked up Historia. But here's my question. And, and I think we need two key pieces of information. One, how far along is Historia now? My guess is probably close to like eight months because she looks fucking huge. Um, but two, when did Aaron go to Liberia? Once we have those two pieces of information, we can easily do the math and, and figure out if it was Aaron or not that got her pregnant. Because this episode, or the flashbacks in this episode, again, I'm going off of the AOT wiki, which I hope is pretty accurate. Um, it takes place two years ago when the envoy from Hezru arrives at Paradise, And I guess it also takes place one year ago when they're at the railroad tracks. Um, Meaning that after that point is when Aaron had infiltrated Liberio. Meaning that there was still a possibility that, you know, they they got together and had some Titan loving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it was within, like, just a couple months after that railroad railroad moment, then, yeah, there's there's a chance you it could have been. railed her road. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been Aaron. Um, that would be weird. Just, I don't know, it just, the whole thing just kind of seems weird because... Is, I don't know, like, is there any real relationship there? Or did he just, like, knock her up? I feel like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I, I almost wonder, do I prefer that it was just some guy who maybe, like, flirted with her a little bit back when she was a kid? Or do I prefer it to be Aaron, somebody who knows her a little bit better and kind of has skin in the game with this whole thing? I think the key quote here is what Hanj says in the beginning where she mentions to Aaron, like, she's in disbelief about how he sacrificed Historia. What does that mean? Yeah, that whole thing is super confusing because wasn't the whole idea of her getting pregnant to not sacrifice her so she doesn't have to become the Beast Titan? Or is Hanj saying that she, now that Eren is siding with Zeke, she assumes that that means Historia needs to then become the Beast Titan, therefore sacrificing her and her family or her future family. You know what I mean? So that is that is super ambiguous and very, very confusing. You're right. Yeah, it's just a very open-ended interpretation of what she means by sacrifice. Uh, that does make sense, though, because Hanj only knows about what Zeke's plan is and probably sees it through that context. But watching this episode a second time and really focusing on that quote makes me think that sacrifice means taking Historia out of the game. I just feel like, though, if it was Aaron, why does she look so fucking like upset? when she's pregnant because she, aaron's gone crazy <laughs> she's like well i'm pregnant and my baby daddy has like three years left on his term maybe less and he's nuts and i can't do anything about it yeah and the other thing is as we've learned we can't always trust the stories that go around by like the general folk 
because as we knew with Willie Tiber, he revealed what King Fritz's real intentions were about um, building parodies. And here we, we get very hazy images of the story of how Historia ended up with this, this country bumpkin. I don't know how else to describe him, but it just seems too straightforward of a story to be believable. Either way, I feel like this whole Historia being pregnant thing is going to prompt a lot of Attack on Titan hentai. So that's the one thing we can be certain of. I'm sure there's going to be a shitload of Historia hentai that comes out of this. Rule 34. <laughs> and who knows, maybe on the next episode of Mori, we'll find out who the real baby daddy is. <laughs> Do they have pregnancy tests and parodies or in this day and age? We'll see. Yeah. I think the next scene is the railroad, right? Mm-hmm. So this is just, the whole thing is just excellent. It's... It's funny, it's really gloomy, it's um, thought-provoking, and it starts off with Levi acknowledging that he's actually short. Because before we knew he was short, he just didn't look short because everyone else around him was too young to be tall. <laughs> actually, like if we go back to the very beginning of the episode when Yelena tries to introduce herself to Aaron, you get a shot of Levi holding Aaron back. And he's like way shorter than everyone else standing behind him. And then here in the railroad scene, you see him looking up at Connie and John and just like be disappointed in how how short he really is. The fact that he acknowledges it is just great. Like he just looks all pissed off and Connie doesn't even realize what he's saying. And he's just like, when the fuck did you all get so tall? Um, and our friend that we mentioned earlier, Kevin. Hey, Kevin again. Um Kevin was like, Levi may be 5'2", but his personality is 7 feet tall. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much accurate. <laughs> so he would be the perfect person to, to get the Beast Titan because of his Napoleon Napoleon complex. I also want to mention, again, with the lighthearted humor in this episode, there is a mini plot of Armin chasing Sasha down as Connie and John are talking to each other about how hot it is for them to be working outside. And it's because Sasha is drinking all of their water supply from the barrel. <laughs> and it's like one of those things where you're not like you focus more on what like John and Connie's conversation is saying, but watching what's going on in the background, it's just, it's nice comic relief. It's also when you see Mikasa just casually stroll on by with like four steel beams over yeah, her shoulder, carrying them by herself. <laughs> Cause you know, she's an Ackerman. So yeah, that's, that's another like blink and you'll miss it. But Again, it's it's funny because you're juxtaposing that with the serious conversation that John and Connie are having and all of these weird things are happening around them. My favorite part of this whole scene was was definitely that nice moment that Aaron and the scout group has. Um, and it's it's just very heartwarming, but also really sad at the same time because, you know, they're talking about who would basically eat Aaron in a couple of years, five years, I think, from that point, to inherit the um, the Attack Titan and the Founding Titan. And they're talking about it, even though it's a very morbid thing to talk about, they're, th they're talking about it from a place of, like, care and friendship because they would want to keep something that important within a, a group that, you know, Aaron trusts. But on the flip side, Aaron says, you know, I don't want it to be any of you guys because I want you all to live long lives. And they, you know, all blush and have this really cute moment. And it just is this um, this great reminder that Aaron 
and the scouts care very much about each other. Although uh, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, damn, Armin's probably like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah, he has the, the colossal titan power. He's like literally a ticking time bomb. He's like, well, everyone else gets to live long lives and I get to live for like another, what, at that point, like 11, 10 years. <laughs> no one cares about the page boy. And that moment between Sasha and Connie was just exactly what we needed after Sasha died. I mean, we've gotten a lot of funny parts from her, um, like when she's eating Nicolo's lobster in the last episode. But I've been waiting for her to have significant dialogue in this show. She died without having any of it, which kind of made her death feel slightly throwaway, like slightly inconsequential. But here it's like now we're really feeling the consequences two episodes later because she gets a significant... Um, a significant amount of dialogue between her and Connie and really with the, the whole group. But we see kind of that perfect example of what Connie said to Nicolo in the last episode that they were like twins because they're talking to each other and they're like, well, you can't inherit Aaron's Titans because you're an idiot. And he's like, well, you can't inherit either because you're an idiot. And they're both just like, huh? What? And it was it was huh? great. The intensity too between the two of them as they're like haunting, haunting at each other was just perfect. I just love that they made it so incredibly like gripping as they're trying to navigate each other's stupidity <laughs> yeah again looking at it with the hindsight of her of her untimely death it, it makes you savor these moments a little bit more between uh, i would call it like the the original six scouts um and you know just seeing their their interaction that we were we got used to in, in season one come to fruition again it just brings the series full circle for these characters and if we were ever to see any more characters meeting their demise at least we have these moments with them and i'm kind of jumping around a little bit here um because my notes are a little out of order when it comes to this particular part of the episode but i do want to also mention that when the scouts are building the railroad i think this is kind of that direct tie into the previous episode where we saw those quick kind of flashback cards of Hanj learning about what a train is when I think they were talking about how the Marleyans will need some time to warm up to the people of Paradise. And then we see kind of that one Marley soldier looking apprehensive at Hanj, but when he sees how in awe she is of like a, a little toy train and them, I think, explaining what a train and railroad system is, he like starts to warm up to her. And I think this is, you know, flash forward, this is them taking that new information by taking it by the reins and like really putting it to use for themselves. Like they built that port so that they could welcome Hizuru and now they're building the railroad system probably so, you know, they can travel like normal people. Um, so it's, I think it's a good example of parodies realizing, yes, they've been sitting ducks. They've been ignorant because they they haven't had the world reach that everyone else has had, but they're not going to waste any time. Yeah, I think it's basically putting part two of Zeke's plan into motion themselves by by modernizing because as she reveals during that railroad scene, it's it's gonna be paradise against the world. So they need to they need to muster up all the technological and military strength that they can they can get. And I think it's like a two in one deal because even John mentions it, like they have to be out here building this railroad track under the sun in order for them to gain muscle. Um, alongside again, modernizing Paradise's transportation system. And continuing to jump around here, going back to when the scouts are talking about who's going to in inherit Aaron's Titan, 
um, either Connie or, or John bring up a good point. I think it may have been John. Um, he brings up a good point that when Mikasa says, I'll take the Titan, because of course she's going to be the first one to um, to raise her hand for that. He says, well, we don't even know what you are. Like, are you LDN? We already know that you're half Hizuru person, Hizuru-ian, um, but your other half is Ackerman, and we, we're not even certain if Ackerman is an Eldian bloodline or not. Um, so I think that's a really good point is like, what is Mikasa? Also, what is Levi? Because wasn't Levi adopted into the Ackerman family? He's not an Ackerman by blood. I guess. Um, I could be wrong, but I thought that's, yeah. what, that's what his backstory was. But if he is by blood, then that also brings into question whether he can have the Beast Titan, if that's what our theory is holding out to be. Yeah, does he know like who his parents are and stuff? I have to go back and rewatch his whole backstory, but... He, he he honestly may be Ackerman because his skills are like out of this world. Like he has superhuman skills, kind of like Mikasa. So I could see see him actually being Ackerman, but just maybe not having his actual parents around. I don't know. We'll maybe we'll get more clarity on him as the episodes go on. Mm-hmm. And then continuing my jump around, um, I think Hanj at one point when she stops by the scouts who are working on the railroad. I think she says um, that the only way to get Marley and the rest of the world to accept them is to go and show them who they are by actually like going and visiting Marley. Am I right in this? Like she she said that, right? Yeah, and John confirms this when we switch to the original six on the train, and he says Hans plans to set up an infiltration operation in Marley. So what I think is super frustrating for Aaron, I, I try to like kind of think you know, from his point of view, um, you know, while Hanj is at his jail cell, you know, earlier in this episode questioning why he went rogue, Aaron is probably like, first of all, I only have a few few years left on my term. Second of all, Historia is going to be forced to breed and then have her family members eat each other to continue this vicious cycle. And three, like, damn it, Hanj, you're the one who, who came up with this idea in the first place. I'm just the one who's following through with it. So I, I think Aaron's just, like, really frustrated with this whole situation because, like, this was someone else's idea. He's just trying to get it done in a timely manner so that there's no time wasted. And then everyone's kind of pissed at him. Granted, I'm not saying he should have gone rogue. He probably should have done something more diplomatic and tried to persuade everyone to get on board sooner with this plan. But I, I can kind of see, after learning that it was Hanj's idea initially, I can kind of see where, where his frustrations are stemming from. I think he just wanted to take matters into his own hands. But it's kind of weird because when Lady Kiyomi introduces Zeke's three-point plan and she mentions the whole Beast Titan has to be inherited by a member of the royal bloodline, he is against it because, it, like you said, it, it continues this vicious cycle which, to make another callback, this scenario is pretty much what Rod Rice, if you remember him, the true king of the walls, he wanted for Historia, except with the founding titan power. So it's just very odd to me that, you know, Aaron was at first very against Zeke's plan, and John and Connie comment on this in, uh, in the later scene, but I'm wondering, like, what caused Aaron's change of heart to suddenly want to side with Zeke? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's very very interesting that he he was so against it and then now is like so for it like he's just so hot and cold about it but it's probably the pregnancy piece i mean i think that was the quote-unquote other option that they needed to explore or some some sort of workaround where that third condition that zeke set for the plan didn't need to actually happen in order for the plan to move forward 
So I don't know. I, I hope we'll get more context around that because, yeah, we're there's still something that like something major that happened in this last year now of the story that we are not privy to at this point. And I think that's what John and Connie, I know we're kind of skipping ahead, but that's what John and Connie mentioned in their, um, I guess they're, I don't know where they are, like a, like a break room or something. Um, is that Aaron and Zeke eventually did have a conversation together and that's probably what influenced Aaron. Um, but I think this kind of harkens back to, and Han saying why Aaron had to sacrifice Historia he did knock her up so that she would be out of the picture and then he can go batshit crazy and do whatever the fuck he wants. And that's what ended up happening on Liberio. But I don't see it as a sacrifice, though. That is saving her. That's the whole point is that she now does not have to become the Beast Titan and continue this vicious cycle in, in her family, which is why I'm like, I'm grappling with this. I'm like, if she's saying sacrifice, but if he's the one that knocked her up or even if he didn't knock her up, like she's knocked up now. Um, that's actually saving her, is it not? But then also, like, why does she look so gloomy when she's pregnant? Is the whole thing, like, doesn't make sense to me. I think this is now the, the newest, biggest mystery that we're dealing with. Because she was on board with the plan, but if, again, Aaron knocked her up, that kind of ruins the plan, doesn't it? But and that's like, probably why she's upset. But she does get choked up, though. She has a little bit of, like, tears come into her eyes when he stands up for her and says, like, no, this isn't a good plan. You can't just, you know, put Historia and her future family kind of down this terrible path. So I think she was happy that he stood up for her. That was my take anyway. Um, and so, again, like, I don't see – I feel like sacrificing Historia means that she has to inherit the Beast Titan. Sacri not sacrificing her would mean that there's some other alternative that they've come up with. So, yeah, I mean, I think that overall what Hanj said just really throws us for a loop and, and could be taken in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. I just I don't understand what she means by like sacrifice. Like that's what we need to, to figure out. But the, even that scene with the officers, they're all saying that now that Historia is pregnant, it throws everything for a loop, even though the, the drunk one was like, we should still go ahead with the plan. And, you know, the title of this episode of Sound Argument comes from that discussion where I don't know that one officer's name but he makes the quote-unquote sound argument as being, you know, being careful with giving the Beast Titan power to a pregnant uh, pregnant Historia. But I think it's also just very irresponsible of everybody to not want her to get pregnant. She's like, as of what they know, besides Zeke, one of the only people left with this bloodline. Like, wouldn't you want her to not be sacrificed? Because what if something happens when she gets turned into a Titan and then now you've lost the royal bloodline forever mm -hmm. or you have to rely on Zeke now? So honestly, I think I I'm so surprised that so many people are upset that she's pregnant because i'm like isn't that what you want to do don't you like, like to my point earlier it's not just a ceremonial thing to have somebody with royal blood it's like a literal life or death thing it's like a, a titan power thing in order for or for for someone to have that royal blood so like i think it's a smart decision to have her get pregnant even if it means get pregnant give birth and then inherit the beast titan right yeah i guess there's just so many risk factors involved and also just the timing of it because we know that Zeke only has maybe less than a year now and we don't know at what stage her pregnancy is right now but for those to align just seems like a crapshoot true she probably should have gotten pregnant like years ago when she first became queen like again not to rush it let her find someone that she cares about but damn mm -hmm. like 
you, you need to keep this blood and, and keep it going because you need to be able to control these titans. Otherwise, yeah. you're all screwed. <laughs> or even like just wait, like wait a year after, you know, eating Zeke and getting that beast titan power. Um, so again, continuing my, my jumping around here, I think we may have gone slightly out of order. I could be wrong. But there's also that part where we revisit the scene between Aaron and Hanj at the jail. Um, and I do want to call out that you know, get you get that whole moment where Aaron grabs Hanj and basically kind of threatens her and all of that. I I my biggest takeaway from that is that he's being super cooperative with the scouts. And I think that's very intentional. Like he's he's threatening her because he needs things to move quickly because again, he only has a few years left on his on his term, his contract, whatever you call it. But also he owes them so much for saving his ass yet again and going along with his plan. Um, so it's kind of him trying to balance the fact that he has an end goal and they shouldn't try to stop him because he also, you know, has a an end date to his life, but also that, you know, he needs them in order to progress everything that he's trying to do with Zeke and that, of course, he cares about them. So he doesn't want to kind of overstep his boundaries because really what is stopping him from just forcing everyone's hand by turning into a fucking Titan and breaking out of that jail and going to get Zeke, right? Like mm-hmm. they, he, he's right. They cannot kill him even if he were to go like full on rogue and kind of just become the enemy. They cannot kill him because they need his founding Titan powers. And as we've seen, he can transform over and over and over again. There is no cooldown period for Aaron anymore. So I think as frustrated as he is, Props to him for continuing to play by the rules, be respectful of everybody, just like he was on the airship. He let Levi beat him up. He let them tie him up um, and keep him in the room with Zeke. Like He's trying to be as cooperative as possible, but he also just needs to get shit done. He's not here to fuck around. Yeah, I was thinking about that, watching that scene. Like Aaron is being kept in this jail cell, but he has three different Titan powers embodied in him, so he could literally just do whatever he wants and i think he almost nearly transforms after like hans riles him up and he grabs her i know he's kind of like half threatening like look bitch i'm about to go off on you but then he he like while you're saying like he exerts control i think he's also just slowly losing control because he feels to your point like nothing's moving along at the pace that he wants things to move along He's also probably just sick of playing this game, this game of politics and dancing around, you know, all this bureaucratic shit. Like he's he's probably like, we don't have time to just wait. Our enemies aren't going to wait. They're going to come and attack us. We may have stalled them for a little bit, but if we don't do something, then we're we're screwed. So I, I don't know. I just I really the the immediate shock of that scene was like, damn, Aaron, you're a fucking asshole. But then as I thought about it more, I'm like, uh, I kind of see where he's coming from. I'm not saying he's right in this behavior, but he could just easily do everything that he half threatened to do, but he doesn't. He he wants to meet them halfway. And the last thing that we want to discuss is what is the significance of this wine? We first see it with the officers, again, gossiping over Historia's pregnancy and the really drunk one, I think his name is Rogue, Rogue, Rogue. Um, asks for the Marlene waiter to bring him more, and then Niccolo shows up in the cellar and presents him with a mysterious bottle. You know, the last episode established that, you know, Niccolo has grown fond of, you know, Sasha, and I guess to a broader extent, the scouts that have brought him in as a POW, but now he kind of considers as his acquaintances. But it makes you wonder if he is still 
faithful and loyal to the Marley government and is acting as their informant set on like betraying Zeke or something. Yeah, the first thing I thought was like, no, Niccolo, why? I really liked his character and his his quick character arc that we had in the last episode. Um, and I, I don't know. My, my thought was like, maybe he's really salty because Sasha died. And he's like, dude, this fucking sucks. Like, if you guys didn't do what you did, she wouldn't have died. But also, it was a Marley warrior. I mean, an Eldian warrior, but someone of Marley that killed Sasha. So, like, if he if he's doing it because he's mad at the scouts for getting Sasha killed, I I point the finger back at him. Like, well, it's one of your people that actually pulled the trigger and, and shot her. So you can't be mad at the scouts. Yeah, poison that bitch. <laughs> but what's interesting is... At the very end of this episode, we see another shot where it seems like it's a similar bottle of wine that the scouts are pouring into a cup while they're out in the forest keeping watch over Zeke. I'm assuming there's probably some sort of connection there. And I do have a theory about this wine, but this is only for people who have seen the teaser trailers for this season. So I don't know if I should bring that theory out now or kind of hold on to it. Do it. Just, okay, this is a spoiler warning, even <laughs> though we say we've, anything that's happened already in Tech on Titan. But I guess technically it hasn't happened. I don't know. Has it happened? Whatever you saw in the teaser trailer. I can't remember the teaser trailers. Mm. No, this was, I because I watched the teaser probably like a week or two ago. Um, but there are things that, there are scenes in that teaser trailer which kind of seem like they're influenced by what's going on in this episode. Okay, then this is the official spoiler warning. If you don't want to be spoiled <laughs> or if you haven't seen the teaser trailer yet, go watch it um, and then just skip ahead a little bit. Yes, but my theory is that the wine contains Titan serum. Oh, shit. It doesn't have to be <laughs> injected to work? No, because I, I thought this too, because I, as we've seen throughout the show, the Titan Serum is typically injected into the nape with the needle. But going back to the scene with Rod Rice and Historia and Aaron in the cavern where Historia was supposed to inherit Aaron's founding Titan power, if you remember, Historia refuses and knocks the serum out of Rod's hands or whatever, and it spills on the floor. Oh, shit. And then Rod... Like he crawls up to it and starts lapping at it with his tongue, and then he turns into the into a pure titan, which is like that gross ass titan that crawls along the ground, right? Yeah. Oh my god! And you know, like as Armin talks about this titan serum at the end, because he says, like, you know, we have enough supply in the event that we need to find someone to take Aaron Aaron's titan power. As he's talking about that, it cuts to the. Again, the scene in the forest with Zeke where they're pouring the wine into the cup. So I think there's a strong possibility that these Marley informants or infiltrators are trying to turn the scouts or all of these military people into Titans to either destroy the scouts or for one of them to at least take Zeke's power and then force Fuck him. Fuck up the whole plan, yeah. basically. <laughs> Oh, my God. Because, yeah, going back to the teaser trailer, there are shots of Titans in the forest. And I don't know if it seems like it's the same forest. But here's the thing. Zeke could just transform and, like, immediately command them. Like, they, they would need mm. to really pull some shit off to be able to take the Titan power from Zeke. Like, he he could just transform really fast and then just immediately command them all to stop, right? Yeah. Uh, that's... 
that's the one wrench in this whole operation, I guess. But that's what I think is about to happen. That puts Historia on major, like, risk, right? Because mm-hmm. they do show, like, when that drunk guy, the drunk general, what, Roig or whatever, is, like, yapping away, they constantly show his glass of wine, each drop getting poured in there, and then he's shaking the bottle to get even more of, like, the last drops out of there. Like, I really did notice that the second time watching through that, I know that they hinted at Niccolo with the wine and all that stuff, but then they really kind of just, like, focused on him constantly pouring that goddamn wine every last drop into his glass, and I'm like, oh, my God, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. Ugh, that's that's crazy. Well, that's a better theory than what I had, which is just it's poisoned to kill off some of the, the higher-ups so that Z could run away. <laughs> I could see that, too, because, you know, if it's being served to these higher-ups, that takes them out anyways. See, I think this is that teaser trailer along with that promo image that we've referenced before that we've got on our Instagram where, you know, Aaron's kind of like peering over buildings and the scouts are up there and it's clearly like Reiner on, um, on the ground below or whoever. Like all these teaser things are are great, but they do spoil a lot. Like it just kind of ruins the story, which is why, again, like if the reason that Mappa decided to give us such a plain opening and ending basically to hide information like then i'm all on board for that and i wish that more anime honestly would do that because i hate being spoiled by this like amazing opening that basically tells you the entire plot of the season mm-hmm. it's it's very easy to kind of put these pieces together when we have such little information like it's there's a lot of speculation but i feel like oftentimes it does kind of come to fruition yeah so the Teaser spoiler over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it's it's like the same kind of speculation that we've had um, this whole time. Like, some of our theories have been true. Some haven't been true, like Armin being that really tall soldier, which ended up being Yelena. So if you're along for this ride with us, just fully expect all sorts of theories. As you know, we are strictly anime. We only watch anime. We never read the manga. So anything that we're speculating, anything that we're talking about is really just pure theory and speculation we have no clue what's going to happen and with that said now we move on to the preview which is just going to be more speculation from us because this looks like it's going to be a great episode i think it's going to be a terrible episode terrible in what regard though because it's a gabby and falco focused episode we'll see i'm excited for it I'm, I'm excited for it because I'm waiting for Gabby to eat her fucking words. I've been waiting for it since like she appeared on screen because she has just annoyed the shit out of me this entire time. So in the preview, Gabby and Falco somehow escape. I'm sure it's going to be a really fucking annoying way that they escape. And then I guess Armin says that they get lost um, in some area after they're trying to find their way around. And Basically, in this preview, we see um, a shot of Gabby and Falco in some Mar- or Marlian, some Paradise person's home. And Armin actually says in, in the, the preview narration that they're taken in by, you know, one of the, the devils that they hated or something along those lines. And it's a quick shot, but I think the people that they're with are Sasha's parents. If you go back to the last episode and then look at the preview, I'm pretty sure that's her parents, right? Full circle, baby. And that's what I'm so excited for because you get this this quick image of Gabby. Like first they show you them in this house with Sasha's with seemingly Sasha's parents. 
And then you get a shot of like Gabby just looking horrified on her face. And I'm like, this better be it. This better be what I'm fucking waiting for. I want her to feel the full guilt of what she did to Sasha and just be like, I'm a terrible person because Gabby, you're a terrible person. <laughs> I'm I'm just like waiting for it. I'm so excited. I really hope it happens this it's episode. Like, like the karma Titan slaps her hand across Gabby's face in this episode. <laughs> like even if Gabby doesn't end up dying, I just want her to eat her fucking words and be like, I was wrong. I'm stupid. I'm the worst. Yeah, and I think... We probably won't get a resolution to this episode, 69's cliffhanger, until the following episode, which I would believe would be episode 71. But yeah, I think that's just seeing Gabby get her just desserts is enough for us to be invested in this next episode. Also, what do you think of the shot of Hanj, I think, talking to Flock, Flock, Waka Floka? <laughs> um, I don't remember seeing them talk. I just remember that like close up of Flock's face, but I don't know why. Did it look like an intense I don't conversation? Know. I, I don't know. I'm just wondering what the context of that is, or if you had any thoughts on it. It's probably. I mean, if I'm just pulling something out of thin air, it's probably something like Flock wants somebody to die, and Hunch's like, no, <laughs> we doesn't. can't do that, because <laughs> Flock is just so out to get everyone. Like he acts like everyone's out to get him, and then he just wants to get everyone back like he's he's the one on the rooftops is telling john like you know this is revenge for what these people did to us like everyone here needs to die or something like that um and he was the one freaking out in season season three was he introduced Mm -hmm. um when everyone had that plan to like susume and sacrifice everyone um when they were attacking zeke so he flock i mean flock in general is just a very problematic character to me because he's hot-headed um, kind of resembles Aaron from earlier in the show, but less optimistic. He's very, very pessimistic. Um, and so I, I can just imagine it's Flock being upset with some something Hanch proposes. Because the episode is called Deceiver. I don't know if that also has any connection. But I, like, I'm just think, throwing like, a, Flock's the deceiver? I don't know. I'm just throwing out wild theories again. I mean, but. I could see him deceiving in order to do something radical to benefit parodies. I would be shocked, though, if he was a deceiver that was actually siding with Marley in some way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, knowing this show, who fucking knows? Like, that, that could very much be a possibility. But the way they've kind of crafted Flock's character, I would be very surprised because he, of everyone, seems to hate Marley the most. Yeah. So we shall see. And with that, let's go into our final thoughts for episode 69, A Sound Argument. How many low-rise Levi's out of 10 would you give this episode? Um, I would give it um, an 8 out of 10. Uh, This was another great episode, as they all have been, but I would equate this close. Is Is that the word? Every time I say that word, I'm like, is that the word? Equate? Okay, I would equate this to... What was the one episode where the really bad rotoscoping was happening? Was that the second episode? I think, yeah, the the second one. So that one was like another kind of like exposition heavy episode, but focused on Marley's side of things. And that one, I think I gave an eight or something similar because it was a lot of great information. It just not like not a lot happened in terms of action or excitement in that episode. Um, So I feel like this is the same type of episode, just on the parody side. Although it is a better episode because you've got the great humor and you also have the really heartfelt moments. So I would say this is a solid eight, maybe almost eight and a half. What about you? Yeah, I would agree. I would also give this eight low-rise Levi's out of 10. It is the second consecutive talking episode, but 
for it to be another talking episode, a lot doesn't happen, but then a lot does happen um, with the exposition that we receive in this in this story or this part of the story with what Zeke's plan is, with again his story is pregnancy, and also understanding what the scouts think of Aaron and whether or not he is still on their side or if he is a credible threat. Um, with that aside, I like that we saw more of these tender moments between the scouts, which we kind of needed after eight or so initial episodes of the season without them to, again, kind of fill in that void that we needed that we were so used to seeing with these scouts in the past three seasons. Um, and again, with this being the final season, it's it's good to kind of hold these moments close to our chests. And, you know, as I mentioned with Aaron, I'm hoping that we get more into Aaron's headspace now that we know what everyone around him thinks of him and thinks of his actions and what he is planning to do. And I think this sets up a, another po- perfect moment for a proper scene between Aaron and the other two characters of the main trio besides that shooting range scene that we saw in the previous episode. So it'll be interesting to see if they can convince him to get out of this weird psycho headspace that he's caught himself in. I'm really, really excited, whether it's this next episode or the following, just to get more main trio like moments. The fact that Armin, um, towards the end of this episode, said, well, maybe if Mikasa and I go talk to Aaron directly, um, we can get through to him. I'm like, this is what I've been waiting for. I mean, I've been waiting for a lot of things in this season. Um, but th- this is one of the things that I've been very excited to see is just more of the main trio because I felt like that fell off pretty much like season three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, they're, they're my favorite. I want to see more of them, especially now that like Sasha's gone and we can't see more of that trio. I want to see more of this main trio. So I hope we get that again, whether it's this next episode or the following one. I'm just looking forward to it. Yep. And that wraps up the special 69 Attack on Titan episode of Strictly Anime. Nice. New special episodes release every Wednesday following the new episode of Attack on Titan. This is in addition to our regular schedule for Strictly Anime. You can follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us to share your thoughts on Attack on Titan. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasagayo. Shinjuosa 69.